Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. As we approach the last days, be aware of something. There is going to be a greater spirit of delusion. Let me say that another way. There is going to be greater deceit in the world. And that's why we need more than ever the counsel of the Holy Spirit. We need discernment. We need biblical wisdom in order that we are not deceived. And there's an important principle that we need to learn. When one sets out for his own purposes, to fulfill his own desires, when we go about our will instead of God's will, we will easily be deceived. That rebelliousness is indeed an invitation for the enemy to deceive us. We see in the last days God speaks, and he says because they have rejected, they have denied the truth, meaning this. They knew what was true, but they rejected it. And when one rejects the truth of God, the outcome of that is that there will go forth a spirit of delusion, of deceit, in order to lead one to destruction. So here's the important principle. It is only when one is committed to the will of God, the purposes of God, the plans of God, will then that desire to serve God, obey God, do His will, that will bring about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, His anointing in our life. When we say, yes, God, I want to serve you, that is an invitation for the anointing of the Spirit to give you that wisdom, that understanding, that right perspective, that discernment, so that you won't be deceived, but you will successfully be a servant of God. So the desire that you have to serve God, the stronger that is, the more committed you are to Him, this is security against the spirit of deceit. Now, the problem is this. We need to realize that biblically, and many people don't, but that idolatry and, and deceit go hand in hand. And the problem is this. People think that idolatry is in the past. Oh, that's how people used to behave religiously. But be assured, there is numerous idolatry today. You travel perhaps away from where you grew up, and you will find that in many places in the world, there are pagan temples, there are practices that is clearly idolatrous today. People worship images, statues, they bring money, food, and such, and lay them before that which is made by wood or stone or metal. 
And there's something else that we need to understand that's also meeting the definition of idolatry, and that's this. That is a false teaching that is growing today and being more accepted as mainstream, as appropriate, as sound. And that is the false teaching that encourages people that God, the one true God, and they call him by name. They know the name of Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus. But yet they believe that Messiah, God is there for my desires, to help me achieve my will, to solve my problems so that I can accomplish my dreams. When someone has that view of God, how he works, functions, behaves, that takes a religion, a revelation, a statement of truth, and turns it into falsehood. See, the problem is people are taking true religion. There's only one. The revelation of the Word of God. And they'll read this book. They'll quote the Scripture. They'll say many things that, that are okay. But because of their desire to serve self rather than God, they will twist some of the scripture. They won't quote it properly. They won't understand the context. And they will get others to believe that God is there for them, for their purposes, their desire. And this is most prevalent today among those who teach holding a copy of the Bible. Well, let's move forward in our study we are in the midst of the prophecy of Isaiah. We began chapter 44 last week and saw how God is going to affirm his selection, his choice of Israel in order that his purposes, his plans will indeed be fulfilled. And we have to learn a very important principle, and that is this. The Bible teaches, and Satan knows this. Satan knows the scripture. What does Yaakov, that is James, tell us? Tells us the demons know that there's a God, and they shudder at that. The problem is this. Satan, he knows the significance of Israel. He knows what God has revealed in his word concerning how he's going to move in the last days to bring the Jewish people to faith, a remnant of them, in order to fulfill what must be for the kingdom of God to be established. Satan knows this, and therefore he's working against it. And that's why the desires of Satan are rooted in an anti-Semitic spirit. He is against Israel doing God's will because he knows when that transformation happens to the Jewish people it's soon thereafter that he's going to be cast into the abyss to that that place of darkness and fire in order to be tormented there for 1,000 years so he is against the plan of God and he wants to deceive others so that they don't serve the plans of God. Well, look with me to where we left off last week, Isaiah chapter 44, and we're going to begin in verse 9. 
remember that the last thing that Isaiah said in the previous verse, verse 8, he spoke about there is only one God, the God of Israel. There is no other. And there's only one rock, and he's referring to Messiah. He leaves, concludes that eighth verse with speaking about the uniqueness of God and the uniqueness of his son, the rock of our salvation, Messiah. And when you reject that truth, what happens? You fall into idolatry. And now in the section that we're going to study in this lesson, we're going to see Isaiah speaking boldly against idolatry he's going to reveal how foolish how illogical how deceived one is in order to practice idolatry and unfortunately today that same spirit of deception has taken hold of the body of believers the congregation of redeemed and there's many inside the the body of believers that are false teachers. They do not believe the revelation of God and they're twisting the word of God in order to get people to serve the enemy instead of serving our Lord and Savior. Let's begin in verse nine. We read here Isaiah 44 and verse nine. The ones who form, and the next word is a statue, an image. It says, all of them, and the next word in Hebrew is tohu. Now, tohu vevohu is translated in the book of Genesis in chapter 1 as, as the, the condition of the world when it was formed. You'll read there that the world was empty, it was, was void, it was formless, meaning it lacked God's order. Now, that's the phrase tohu vevohu. This is only the word tohu, and it's a word of confusion. It's also a word that lacks substance, lacks God's, God's design. And therefore, when we practice idolatry, God forbid, we see that we are going to find ourselves in confusion. In other words, what we talked about earlier, we're going to be deceived. And you say, well, I don't practice idolatry. If you believe false teaching, you are believing that because of your own selfish desires. You go to people, listen to people that say what you want to hear. And therefore, it's because you're following those who tell you what you want to know that you're going to be deceived. This is why people in the past got involved in idolatry because they wanted a God that did what they wanted and therefore they made that God, they formed that God according to their desires. This is what it's talking about here. So the ones who form a statue or an idol, all of them are told, all of them are deceived. And it says they're desirable things and it's a synonym here for these things that they revere, these statues, these idols. It says these desirable things from a human standpoint. It says they are not, and the word here is beneficial. They, they do not help. They do not bring about any positive outcome. 
the word in Hebrew, in modern Hebrew, same word, but it's translated effective. It is not effective. These things do not bring about any positive outcome. So realize something. Whenever I'm about my will, what I want, what I think I have coming to me, my dreams, whenever I pursue that instead of pursuing God's will, it is not going to be effective for me. There's not going to be any benefits. That's what Isaiah is saying. Furthermore, he writes, and, and they themselves are their witnesses. They testify, in other words, of, of these things. They don't have revelation from God, so their witnesses are they. And they do not see, they do not know, and on account of this, it tells us at the end of verse 9, they ultimately will be ashamed. So realize another principle, and it's this. When I pursue what I want, that is going to lead me to be in a shameful condition before God. Whenever I do what I want instead of what God commands, and that's why, in my opinion, there is such a, an animosity. If you speak in favor of the commandments of God, that is controversial today. People don't want to hear that. They immediately shout legalism. Legalism is when one says that obedience to the commandments is necessary for salvation. That's not what's being said. We're simply saying that the commandments reveal God's will. The commandments teach us what is right and what is wrong. And we, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, that's an important part, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, we can effectively use God's revelation, that is, His commandments, in order to apply them to our life so that we do what is right instead of what is wrong. Not legalism, but using that which God has commanded and given us in order that we might serve him. Look at verse 10. He asks a question. Who has formed God? That's literally what it says. Who could do that? If it's God, how could one form God? We are the creation of God. We can't form God. That's ridiculous. But this is their mindset because they're utterly deceived. They don't care about truth. They don't care about the reality. They don't care about how foolish it sounds because they are all about getting what they want, doing what they want to do. And their idolatry simply is an attempt to justify their sin. So who has created God and molded a statue, here again, another word for an idol. And it says, such behavior, that type of action, it says, le vilti ho il. It's not beneficial. It's not effective. It doesn't bring about anything that is good. It leads you to shame and destruction. It brings upon you the wrath of God. And if you look at this passage of scripture that I alluded to from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where it speaks about a spirit of delusion that God will send forth, and we need to understand this, 
correctly. It speaks about a spiritual law. When one rejects the truth, he's inviting deceit into his life. That's what God is saying when he says he will send a spirit of delusion unto them. Look now to verse 11. Behold, all of their companions, literally his companions, and it speaks of this, who will make an idol? And then it says all of his companions, all of that, that group, his comrades that, that would do the same thing, that follow him, all of them, and this is the second time it says it, he says all of his companions, those who join in in idolatry, what are they going to be? They're going to be ashamed. And it says they are, are, not, are not men of faith. But what are they? They're nothing more than craftsmen. And it says here that, that they are from man. They're not of anything divine. These are simply craftsmen from human beings. That's who they are. Nothing supernatural about them. And it says here, all of them, they will be gathered. They will stand. And what's going to happen? Now, this is a reference. Most of the rabbinical scholars see this as a reference to them standing in judgment, God bringing them together. And when he does that, in other words, when they encounter true God, the real God, the God of Scripture, what's going to happen? It says here that they are going to be afraid. And this word means to have excessive fear. And also, together with that, they are going to be, and here's the third time, ashamed. So when you pick your will rather than God's will, it is going to lead to the judgment of God, which is going to be a frightful experience. And it's going to place you in everlasting shame and contempt. Now that expression, shame and contempt, everlasting, is what Daniel says in Daniel chapter 12 when he speaks about the resurrection to judgment. And there's going to be a resurrection to vindication. That's one part of judgment, being vindicated. God acknowledging you. And another part, which is this, this, this judgment of the vengeance of God, his destruction upon them. Look now to, to verse 12. He speaks here about idol makers. He says, they are, many Bibles will say blacksmith. It's simply a craftsman who works with, with iron. And this craftsman has a tool, and it says that, that he, he functions, he acts with, with uh, coal, and it also speaks about him hammering. So they take coal and iron, and they, and they work it together. They beat it with, with mallets, and it says that, that he forms it. He makes an idol, and it says that, that he performs it, he acts with it, with the strength of his arm. So this is focusing upon the one who makes the idol. And after doing that work, what is he? It says that, that also he becomes hungry. And, and he, based upon this work, he becomes tired. There's no strength anymore in him. And if he doesn't drink water, what happens? He faints. Now, what it's speaking about is this. The one who makes idols 
they are, are insufficient. They wear out. They need to eat. They are dependent upon, rest, all the things of this world. But God, the one true God, and his name, those four letters, yud vav speaks about the God who transcends this world. Now, he's all places. He's in this world, but he's above this world. He transcends it. God is not subject to anything physical. God doesn't get hungry. God doesn't need to drink. God doesn't, if he doesn't drink, get tired. No. He is self-sustained. He needs nothing. He is complete. And another way to think of this word complete is with the word perfect. He is perfect. He lacks nothing. Everything sustains himself. This is the difference between the idol worshiper. Then it talks about in verse 13, a craftsman of wood. He, he stretches forth a line and then he, he marks it. He marks it out, it says, with a, a utensil. Now, this is the word sered, and the word sered has to do with, with a, a utensil, like a pen, something that one is able to write with or perhaps etch something in, to mark it down, to, to make the, the marks in order that you know how to make it. Now, now, God speaks, and things come into being. But then, in order to make their gods, they need a, a set of instructions. They need markings. That's what it's trying to communicate to us. And it says here that they make it, or he, that craftsman, makes it with, with planes and also with a, a compass. They mark it out. And they do so. Here again, it's in the singular. He does so according to the pattern of man. Now, I would highlight that because what it's saying is this, that, that God, that they make these idols reflect. They come in the pattern of a man. And this is most informing because it tells us that really what they're about is worshiping man, namely themselves. Therefore, the, the idols, the gods that they so-called make, these, these false images, they are coming in the pattern of a, a man. And according to the splendor, the best things that a man has, they, they make them this way in order that they can place them in their home. So in one sense, they make these to put them in the home and they, they invest, they spend time, they work at it. They are, are beautiful. They have that teferit in the Hebrew, which is splendor. And what are they for? Well, they're for their own enjoyment. They make these and they place them in their home so that they can look at them, that they can derive pleasure from, from these, these wonderful statues that they commission to be made, or they themselves make them. This is what it's saying. Verse 14. Such a one, an idol maker, it says that this one cuts for himself these, these trees, these cypress trees. And they take another type of tree, and with that, an oak. And then it says, they fasten for himself with the, the wood of the forest. And they, they stretch out with it 
in order that, that it has. They stretch out with it another type of tree, or they plant, instead of stretch out, it would be better translated the word nata. They plant a tree like a pine tree, and the rain, the implication is the rain comes and the tree grows. Now, what is it telling me about here? Well, they take from the force in order to make their idols. But what do they have to do? Well, they have to replant other trees in order that they have them for the next generation. And what does that tell us? There's nothing eternal. There's nothing lasting. These idols give away with time. They have to make new ones for the next generation and the generation after that. So in order to have the materials to make their God, what happens? They have to plant trees, and they're dependent upon the rain in order to make them grow. It all speaks about the, the inadequacy of what they're doing, what they're serving, what they're worshiping. All of this is rooted in those who have been deceived, and they're deceived because these idols, they always say what they want to hear. They always command you to do what you want to do. There's never a need to, to truly submit to them because these idols are really submitting to their makers, the ones who possess them. This is what the word of God is saying, verse 15. Now, even though these idols, they were made carefully, they, they cost sometimes large sums of money, that they're decorated with jewels that talked about the splendor, the description that they have of, of something that is worthy, something that one would want to put on display in their home. But what happens when you really have a need? What can they do? Well, notice what it says in verse 15. It says, it shall come about to a man that, that he's going to do something, that he's going to burn meaning he'll take these idols and, and he'll burn them in order that he becomes warm. He'll use it for heating, and the word here means to heat one's house. He'll use it for heating, and he'll also use that heat for baking a bread. But it says here, he is, is, is acting and functioning as God, this one, who's being burnt up, this idol being burnt up for, for heating the house in order that you can use that heat to bake bread. This is how an idol functions, how God functions, it says, that, that, they would, would, that he would bend down to it, that they would bend down to it, to the one that made it, this idol, that it would also bend over towards it. So it's saying here, and here again, the, the Hebrew is somewhat difficult. It speaks about one who has made an idol, who now is burning it up, who is using the heat from it for himself, for his cooking. And this is the one that's made a god. This is how a god maker behaves, burning up his own god for his own well-being. This reveals something. Everything is about him, whatever he needs. But see, we are called to be subjective to God, meaning subject, subject ourselves to God for everything, everything that he desires. It's not about us. There's a very important expression in the Hebrew, which means 
to give oneself over to. It's being a living sacrifice, meaning that you're willing to give your life for him. Quite the contrary here. We see them destroying their idols for heat and food and then bowing down to it. Notice what it says in verse 16. Half of it, now it means half of this idol, he is going to burn up with fire and half of it, he is going to, to use it to, to cook meat so that he can eat, that he'll roast a roast, that he becomes satisfied. And, and it says here, even that he will use it for heat and he will say, aha, I'm warm. He will proclaim all of this is for me. This is the difference. We are servants of God. We do everything for him. But in idolatry, those idols ultimately are used for us in order that we are comforted, that we have food, that we are warm. Great difference between them. He says, I am warm for I have seen, and the word here is an ember, that he's so happy that he has now at these cold times when he's shivering that he can see fire. And what's the source of that fire? The idol that he's burned up. He has food and warmth because he has burned up his God. Now, is that really a God that, that can be burnt up, that can be used in this way? Obviously not. But this one is deceived. Notice what it says in verse 7. And the rest of it, he'll use for God, meaning if there's anything left over, remember he just used half of it. What remains, still he'll use for God. Verse 17, and what remains, he will make for God. And for the statue, to that statue, it says he will bow down to himself. He will worship and he will pray to it. And he will say, Save me because you are my God. Now, imagine that. I mean, this doesn't make any sense to anyone. You have this, this thing that you say, oh, this is my God. But I'm hungry and, and I, I don't have any wood. So I'll take half of this idol and I'll cut it in half and I'll burn it up so that I can be warm from the heat. And with that heat, I can cook a piece of meat that I can eat and satisfy. And whatever's left over with this idol, I'll bow down to that, I'll worship, I'll pray, and I'll believe that you are my God and that you are able to save me. This is the fallacy, the falsehood, the delusion that one has embraced because of why? Because he wants a God that he can control that's there for him. Verse 18, such people, they do not know. They do not understand. For, and the next word, tach, usually speaks about something that is a, a mixture of material that you use to, to cover something up. For example, you might put over brick so you don't see the brick, but you have a, a covering. So it's something that conceals, that covers up. I believe many English Bibles speaks about closing the eyes, but it's literally having the eyes covered. 
that there's something that, that causes someone not to be able to see properly. And this is what it says in verse 18. These individuals, they don't know, they don't understand, for their eyes have been covered from seeing, and their hearts from, from being wise. Their behavior has placed them where they cannot find truth. They are so deceived, their eyes, their perception is so marred by, by idolatry. And what's idolatry? The desires that I have. Now, here's something that's very important. And that is, many people know, oh, God is going to give me the desires of my heart. One who is a false teacher says this, God is there. He loves you so much that what your heart desires, God wants to give it to you. No, no, no. That is not what the scripture says. It says this. When one is committed to God, God is going to put into your heart his desires. His desires will become your desires. He's going to change the way you think. But it's only when you commit to him that that's going to be the outcome. This false teaching that God's there to give me what my heart desires is idolatry a Christianized form of idolatry. That's what he's saying. So such a one, they're not going to have the capacity to learn, to, to find truth, to find what is right. Verse 19. And because of that, it says, Velo yeshiv el libo. He will not turn to his heart. And that's an idiom. He will not be brought to repentance. For he has no knowledge, no understanding. For he is the one who has said, half of it I will burn with fire. And I will bake, bake upon its coals bread. And I will roast meat. And I will eat. But the rest of it, same thing. He's reminding us of this folly, this foolishness. But the rest of it, what's left over? I will make for, and now Isaiah is saying what it really is. He will make with the rest of it for an abomination. What Isaiah is saying is this, that idolatry is an abomination before God. And it leads one to behave in a way that is so dishonoring of God. See, when you set out to honor self, you dishonor God. But when you set out to glorify God, what's going to happen? God is going to place upon you his anointing. And you are going to be one who bears witness to the truth of God, the will of God. You're going to be a faithful vessel, but it only begins when you make that commitment. So it says here, these individuals, they are going to, with what's left over, they are going to, notice what he says, burn it up with fire and bake upon its coals bread and roast with it meat and consume it. But what with what's left over? They will make, he says, I will make an abomination. From a block of wood, I will bow down. I am going to give over to it. Now, it's interesting. This word, which means to, to uh, bend down to it, is not the normal Hebrew word for bending down. But it's the word 
that we get the Hebrew term misgod. What is misgod? A mosque. And this is a word that, that more often than not speaks of bowing down to that which is an idol, that which is not proper, that which is no God. And let's go to our last verse, verse 20. Now, we're going to conclude the last part of chapter 44 in our next study. This one I wanted to just deal with individually because Isaiah speaks so clearly about what idolatry is. And he says, basically, what one who's doing that is worshiping idols, they're feeding on ashes. Now, this word for feeding can also be used in a spiritual sense. It's the same word that we get the phrase a shepherd from. And obviously, a spiritual shepherd, and they use that term, the shepherds of Israel, for the religious leaders, the spiritual leaders. It says that such one who practice idolatry, they are feeding on, on ashes. And it says their heart, lave hutal. They have a deceived heart. And it says they have turned aside. Now, some of the translations use the word they have become perverted. And perverted simply means you have turned. You have moved away from that which is holy, that which is good, that which is righteous, to that which is unholy, ungodly, and untrue. So it says, they are feeders of, and it's singular, he feeds on ash, meaning ashes. His heart has been what? The heart has been deceived. He has been moved aside. And it says here, he will not be, be delivered his soul. His soul will not be saved. And it says, he, he will he not say, surely falsehood is in my hand. Now it could be translated. He will not say, he will never acknowledge that surely falsehood, deceit, it's the word sheker for a lie is in my right hand. What it means is this. This one is so given over to what he wants, to his false ways, that he'll never acknowledge it. See, idolatry moves us away from truth. And when we, and let's make it more relevant today for most of those who are listening, when you believe and follow a teaching that puts you first, that, that is rooted in your own will, your own purposes your own desires when you do that you are moving away from god and you're moving towards what this scripture ends with in verse 20 and that is that one who will not surely he will not acknowledge that falsehood he's holding on to it's in his right hand why will this unwillingness to repent and acknowledge the falsehood that he's embracing is a characteristic of being in in a state of being reprobate. What's reprobate? Being in a spiritual condition where you are so given over to, to lies, deceit, falsehood, darkness, that you can't ever see the light. You'll never be brought over to repentance. And Isaiah is concluding this section of chapter 44 in saying that idolatry moves us to a place where we will be so far away from truth that when truth is manifested to us, 
we can't see it. We won't repent. We will not acknowledge our lie. Don't believe false teachers. Don't be individuals that are deceived. Don't embrace the spirit of delusion. But remember, there's only one way to ensure, and that is through a true faith. A faith in what Isaiah ended with last week. That one true God and that rock of our salvation, Messiah. It's only when we believe in Him and when we're committed to His will that we're going to be given that anointing. We're going to be given perception, understanding, enlightenment, discernment so that we can see truth and submit to it and not be deceived by the lies of the enemy. A very basic teaching from Isaiah against what is so common today and that is that same spirit of idolatry that manifests itself in false teaching. Well, I'll close with that until next week. Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Thank <laughs> you.